beginning of this message, and uh, it's something that we normally try to do, but we don't always do, and that is ask you if you would stand uh, as we read the Word. Hallelujah. In honor of the Word, we're going to be, by the way, in Genesis chapter 7, and then we'll jump over to chapter 8. Um, if you don't know where Genesis is, then you are way behind, but... But, but I can help you find any book of the Bible and just turn left. When you hit the front cover, stop. And there, there, there you have Genesis. I want to preach to you this morning a sermon called The Scent That Brings the Promise. I want you to remember that title because I probably won't talk about it again until the end of this message. Now, if you've been with us the last several weeks, I'm just building and building and building. And every, every week, I'm just building new principles and, and putting putting hopefully spiritual earwigs into your brain, splinters that you can't get away from because we're just going to continue uh, with building blocks trying to get somewhere. And I'm going to begin this morning drilling down into some of the things that I had in mind when I brought this, this teaching to you. And this is just going to be one long, continuous message until I feel like I've finally gotten it out of me and and into your hearing. So Genesis chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. When everything was ready. Now I would like to stop right there and preach. But since you're standing, I won't. But, but you can't expect the promise until everything is ready. Now, now I'm going to come back to that thought at the end of this message. But when I say everything, I'm not just talking about the things around you. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about the lazy, apathetic attitude that we have where God's just supposed to open the balcony of heaven and pour us out blessings that we cannot contain and we're responsible for nothing. That attitude has to stop and it begins this morning. Until you get ready, you're not going to see your blessing. Until you get ready, you're not going to see your miracle. Until God gets you ready, until you get good and ready, you need to quit complaining about your situation. Uh, when everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Jump down to verse 13. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with the birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and female of each kind entered, just as God has commanded Noah. Then the usher closed the door. Is that what it says? No. Who closed the door? Who did it? I want you to remember that. It's going to be important at the end of my message. Then the Lord himself was the doorkeeper. Close the door behind them. Now move to Genesis chapter 8 and pick up at verse 13. 
Noah was now 601 years old. For all you complaining, you too old to do something. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, ten and a half months after the flood began, the floodwaters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by. That's a year. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat. Leave the boat. All of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, all the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah, his wives, and the sons of their wives left the boat, and all the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah, here's, here's the crux of my message, but it's going to take me a while to get there. Built an altar to the Lord. And there, where's there? At the altar. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. This time you answer me. Where's there? At the altar. He built an altar and there, at the altar, he sacrificed. As burned offerings, the animals and birds that had been Approved, not just anything, but the sacrifice that was approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of that sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. And even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. I'm going to read that last part again, and then I'll ask you to repeat something back to me. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, say seasons. Cold and heat, say seasons. Summer and winter, say seasons. Day and night, say seasons. Uh, are, you, are you picking up on a theme here? Last week we talked about seasonal allergies, how when God switches seasons on you, it causes some of you to have an allergic reaction. Well, we're still talking about seasons. But this morning we're going to drill deep down into why some of your seasons last much longer than they need to. And the seasons that you're stuck in, let's be honest, are never the blessed ones. No, no, no. You, you, don't, you, you don't ever seem to, to last, uh, to, to just last in that season where you're overcoming and leaping over a wall and, and everything is paid. And no, no, no. Those aren't the seasons you get stuck in for a long time. It's the dry seasons, it's the flood seasons, it's the seasons where you're stuck inside a smelly boat, not knowing what's happening to you on the outside. Those are the seasons you get trapped in a long time. What if I was to tell you this morning you don't have to stay that way? What if I was to present to you this morning a theology that tells me and teaches me that part of the reason you're still stuck ain't God's fault. And if you would learn how to do some things differently, your seasons might change. We need to learn how to have the scent that brings the promise. Father, may you add Your word that we may all hear it and receive it today with gladness and boldness in Jesus' name. And the church says, Amen. You may be seated in His presence.
Now, I'm going to teach this morning more than I am preach because I have been under such a heavy impression in my spirit for about six months for this season that we are currently in. Because I have been impressed that this year is not going to be like every other year for some of us. I wish that I could say for all of us. But I know good and well, just like all other New Year's resolutions, like you're going to lose weight and get control of your money, everybody starts out with good intentions. But when the hard work of change becomes the hurdle, some folks quit before they ever see their breakthrough. And so some of us have no idea. This is what I've been... Can I just share with you what the Spirit's been teaching me for about six months? Some of us have no idea how close we are to walking in the promises that we have been holding on to for a long, long, long time. The Spirit has been showing me for at least the last six months. I I went back and looked at when I began writing these notes, and it was six months ago, that, that some of us have been so close to our our miracle, so close to our promises in a long, dry season, and we have no idea how close we are because we've been hearing God speak to us about it's time for our season to change. But I can't help but to believe that He wants us to know that although we've been standing on the edge of a breakthrough, on the cusp of a new season, that if we don't start looking for it, and if we don't begin preparing ourselves to walk into it, we're going to keep doing the things we've always done, and we're going to keep going through the same religious motions, and we're going to keep crying over the stuff that we feel like has escaped us, and we're going to keep mourning over the seasons that used to be. And we won't ever appreciate the fact that God has a, something brand new and powerful in front of us. Because I read about promises that's supposed to be mine, and I'm not walking in them. I'm just going to be transparent, okay? I'm, not just this Sunday, but going forward, I'm just going to be transparent with you. I'm angry. I, I, I'm, I'm trying not to preach at you angry because I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at me. I'm mad because I've been reading about stuff in this book that I don't possess. I'm I'm angry because I've been pastoring a church all these years and some of the stuff that it says we can do, we ain't done yet. I'm angry because there's been prophecies that's been spoken over my life and I've been snatching a hold of them for years and I have never walked into them. I'm angry because I'm supposed to have joy unspeakable and be full of glory and sometimes I feel like that I have been beaten down, beaten up and left on the roadside to die. I'm angry because I'm supposed to have mountain moving faith and sometimes it feels like I've got more fear inside of me than faith. I'm angry. I am disturbed. I'm tore up. I'm not satisfied. As a matter of fact, I'll say I am unsettled. And my mandate in this season is to get you unsettled. My mandate in this season, and you'll find out in a few weeks why when I preach out of Mark chapter 9, is to get this church to be uncomfortable where you are. Because the point of all of this is that God has so much more for us than we are presently living in. 
Yeah, yeah. See, if we keep doing what we've always done, we're going to keep getting what we've always got. And, and, and constantly, just out of our reach, is the promises of God. And the time is now for us to become deliberate about things that matter. I love you. Let me say that up front. I love you. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But the past seasons don't matter. You've got to let go of where you've been. Or you're never going to possess where God is trying to take you to. The only value that the past has is that it's an accumulation that has made you who you presently are. It has positioned you where you are. But the reason it positioned you there was not for you to constantly mourn what was. It was to get you where you are because God's wanting to step you into a whole new thing. But because you won't let go of what was, you're never going to embrace what is. The word that God has given me out of Job 42 this year for us is unhindered. This is a church where anything's possible. And we are supposed to be living an unhindered life. And here's what I hear in my spirit. Are you ready for this? In order for us to live unhindered in this season, we're going to have to start challenging some stuff that we have become way too complacent with. Can I just be transparent? Since... The lockdown of March 2020. The world has changed whether you realize it or not. We have become, as a people, apathetic, lazy. Stuff that used to matter to us, we have just let go of and has just let the world drive. And we have in the church forgotten to passionately chase After the lover of our souls. We have gotten to the point where we don't contribute anything, but we expect God to show up and do everything. We're not passionately in pursuit of Him to increase our faith. We're not praying like we should. We're not fasting like we should. We're not unleashing the the magnitude of the glory of God. As As the waters cover the sea, God says, my glory is supposed to surround the earth. But His church, His people have laid down and become apathetic. We have gotten lazy about what He left us here for. And it's this message... That is going to begin to stir something up in you, I pray. Because this preaching has one purpose. To draw your passion back out of you. To get you excited again about the stuff that really matters. To make you unsettled about letting promises stay out of your reach. Because I'm telling you, what the Spirit has laid on my heart is that God is not doing more for us Until we position ourselves. The time for us to just sit back and and say, well, woe is me. I guess God don't love me as much as he loves the next person. That's over. I want to get you angry enough to do whatever it takes to change your situation. 
And, and, and so if we examine this story of Noah and the ark, let me begin by telling you that the idea behind this story is that mankind had become increasingly sinful. Man had become so vile and so wicked that God looked down on the earth and said, I can do better than this. i got to make a change. And in the midst of that wicked and perverse generation, there was one man who found grace. One man and his family, Noah. And it's in that fact that I have to stop and praise the Lord for grace. Because what I learned from this is, we're always talking about revival. Revival to save our cities. Revival to save our nation. Revival to turn this world around. And all of that may be true. And all of that is a good goal. And all of that is a godly aspiration. But can I tell you that I'm thankful for a God that will turn it all around just for one person that loves Him? That, 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 that even if the whole world ain't in revival, if the whole world is backsliding, if there's just one Noah, God will turn the whole thing around because of grace. He will seek out that one person who is seeking Him out. Oh, this is already... If you're waiting on me to preach, I'm already there, honey. He will seek out anyone who seeks Him. So you're living in a... COVID makes you say, oh, we can't control anything. The whole world's full of chaos. Let me just hide under a rock. Can I tell you that God knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly how to find you. And He knows how to get your miracle, your blessing, your breakthrough to you. But you haven't sought Him. We have laid down. We've become complacent. We have folded our hands and we've just said, whatever's going to be is going to be. Enough of that. Because anybody that will find God, James 4 and 8 says, if you come close to me, I've got no choice but to come close to you. So if everybody is failing God and the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket, if there's one person that's seeking God, God will find them. So God told Noah that it was going to rain. He said, the evilness of humanity has gotten out of control, and I'm going to start over again. I'm going to bring rain, and you need to build a boat. And Noah said, okay, God, what's a boat? And what's rain? I'll do it. But what is it? And it's here that I see the first hindrance. Are you ready? I'm going to show you two hindrances this morning. Show you two hindrances of why, why you are not walking in your promises. The first hindrance I find in Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. I'm, I'm, I'm going to repeat that because I need, I, I need to emphasize something that you, you, you're going to overlook. Because for years, I've overlooked it. Unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. And for years, I've only focused on that first part. I mean years. I've been preaching this gospel for 25 years. And for 25 years, I've only focused on the part that says, if the Lord don't build the house. What I came here this morning to tell you about our lazy selves is that too many of us aren't building anything. Listen to what it says. Because it's easy to, to ask God to build stuff. 
Unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. So it's easy for us to ask God to build stuff when, when all we have to do is pray about it, beg God for it, and expect Him because we believe for it to do it. But what happens when God asks you to be the builder? He came to Noah and he said, Noah, I need you to build a boat. Noah said, what's a boat? What happens when you are supposed to manufacture your miracle? I know this is deeper than what you're used to because for so long we've just been getting together and just having, you know, real surface level, pet you down kind of feeling. We got to get deeper than that. What happens when the miracle you need built in your life, you think you're waiting on God and God is waiting on you? What, what, what happens when God asks you to be the builder of your own breakthrough, of your own miracle? Noah was not handed a blueprint. Noah didn't go down to the naval shipyard and, and, and learn how to build ships. He, he didn't go to MIT School of Engineering. God said build a boat. He'd never built a boat. And, and he'd never experienced the kind of storm that was headed his way. Do you understand that sometimes you're the one that's going to have to put in the effort? The time for us to just sit and beg God to do stuff is over. He's telling me in my spirit that time has passed. That if you want to see what you've never seen, you're going to have to start doing what you haven't been doing. It's going to take a deeper commitment. It's going to take more passion. It's going to take you being dissatisfied with what you have been seeing. Listen, Noah had never had to explain to his neighbors why he was doing such a crazy thing. Can you imagine living next door to Noah? And he's building this great big boat. 120 years he's out there building a boat. Nobody knows what a boat's for. And he ain't anywhere near water. And, and, and if you think your neighbors think you're weird, imagine if they live next door to Noah. So what is it that you respond to God when God gets in your face and he says, you need to get prepared for something that you have never seen before? You need to be prepared for something you've never experienced before because this is the point most believers miss their promise. When God asks you to do something you don't understand, you shut down because you want God to do everything. Because as much as we talk about faith and as much as we love to sing songs about believing for the impossible, when it comes down to the point where you have to pick up a hammer and start building with no blueprints and you don't know what a boat's supposed to look like and you don't know what rain is going to feel like and you don't know what kind of storm is coming, most of us quit because God didn't make our life easy enough. God didn't show up and perform the miracle. I told you last week, when Lazarus was stuck behind that stone, it would have been very, God could have just snapped his fingers and disintegrated that rock into a pile of dust. But he refused to touch it. Why? Because he wasn't the one that put it there. And some of you have rolled stones of doubt, disbelief, discontentment, mourning the past. You've rolled that stone in front of your miracle and you keep saying, God, I want my miracle. And God says, are you going to move the rock? Are you about ready to get mad enough about what you... My God in heaven. I, it's going to be quiet in this mortuary this morning. 
Because some of you have blamed God, some of you have blamed the devil, and God is blaming you. Because the devil didn't put that rock there. God didn't put it there, and God ain't about to move it. Are you ready to move the rock to reveal your miracle? This is the first obstacle of seeing signs and wonders. This is why we don't have breakthroughs. This is why we don't see miracles. Because we come up to the altar and we ask God to build. And we tell Him, I'm believing, I'm believing. Really? Where's your hammer? What have you done? Have you hewn on any logs in your life? Have you done anything to bring forth your miracle? Or are you just believing? Because believing is Christianese for I ain't about to do nothing. Except complain about how bad my life is. I told you to be quiet in here. Whenever God gets ready to do something new, but you are stuck in the ways of old, the days gone by, what used to be, you will never walk in obedience to build because you're stuck where you used to be. You know how ridiculous Noah looked out there building that boat? But in order for you to see things that you've never seen requires you to do things that other folk ain't willing to do. And you will look ridiculous to them because they aren't willing to do what it takes. That's why so few people actually see the hand of God move. Obeying God means that you have to care more about following His Word than following the crowd. Because if you're trying to see something you've never seen, odds are nobody you know has ever seen it either. So they don't know how to build a boat either. And, and, it, and that means that they're always going to be there to tell you it's impossible. And you shouldn't be trying. So whatever it takes to get to the never seen before, that's where I'm at. I'm too intense for some of y'all. I apologize in advance. Sunday mornings ain't supposed to be like this, right? This is supposed to be Sunday night stuff. But, 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 but I apologize in advance, but I'm too intense for some of y'all right now because the season I'm in is I've, I, the never seen before season of my life. I want to see what I've never seen before. Th- this is where I am. A- a- and I feel mandated to pull some of y'all along with me because there's got to be at least one person in this room. I don't know who you are. I, I don't know. I-, I hope that you and I uh, become kindred spirits real soon, but, 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 but somebody in this room has to, because God wouldn't waste my, my messages for, for, for just no reason. There's got to be at least one person in this room that is dissatisfied with where you've been and you are just about good and ready to see what you've never seen before. If you're believing God to start a business through you, He might require you to build it. And, and, and won't give you five million dollars to start it. If you're believing for your marriage to be healthy, He might require you to build it. You want him to build it. You want her to build it. God might put the hammer in your hand and say, you go apologize. You tell them your side. Well, God, I didn't do nothing wrong. I didn't tell you to argue with me. I told you to build. I didn't tell you to debate with me. If you want a healthy marriage, are you willing to do the... Y'all not going to help me, are you? God might call you to apply for a job that you have no qualifications for. And you say, well, I don't have the resume. What do do you need a resume if God himself opens the door and holds it open? What do you you care about a resume? If you're walking in divine favor, what you worried about a resume for? But see, Noah had to build it even though he didn't understand it. 
Even though he had no understanding of what he was doing, he had to build it. Building a ridiculous thing in an unbelieving atmosphere. That's what I'm doing up here every Sunday. I'm trying to build a ridiculous thing in an unbelieving atmosphere. And now, now, now you and I, we've read the end of this book. We know that this boat was actually more than a boat. Right? Because when you study Scripture, you, you learn that there are things called types and, and shadows, right? So let me give you a definition because some, some of you don't know. Biblical types and shadows are symbolic pictures of something that has not yet arrived. And they point to something real and greater in the future. Okay, those are types and shadows. They, they, they are symbolic pictures of something that's, that's not in your life yet. It hasn't arrived yet, but when it shows up, it's greater than the shadow and it's real. Types and shadows. Types and shadows. And may I also add the definition of your promise. Your promise that you're believing for is symbolic pictures of something that's not yet arrived in your life. But when your promise shows up, it will be greater than what you dreamed and imagined. And it will be very real. So you're holding on to a shadow. You're holding on to a shadow of your pro- My God in heaven. I, woo! You're holding on to a shadow of your promise. That's what brings you back to promise of victory every Sunday. That's what puts you in your prayer closet on Tuesday mornings. That's what makes you look at your backslidden children and say, I still believe that God's going to bring them back into the fold. That, that's what makes you look at your marriage and say, if God can work a miracle, he can do it right here. That's what makes you walk into a hospital room and say, if God can still raise the dead, then he can still perform a miracle in this room. It's because you're holding on to a shadow. You haven't seen it yet. It's not showed up in your life yet, but you're holding on to it. But when it shows up, it'll be better than you imagine, and it will be very, very real. But you're, right now, you're holding on to a shadow of your promise. That, 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 that's all that I can go on. I don't have the tangible realization. It's not real in my life yet. It's just a shadow. My promise is something I'm believing is coming. And you look at what Moa is out there doing in his backyard, hammering on a boat. And you see a boat. But if you look at it from another perspective, you see Jesus. Because this was a shadow of something real and better. So the ark, I'm going to give you, I'm going to run through a very quick list, okay, because i got to get to the end of this. I've only been preaching for seven minutes. But the clock is stopped, so it's perpetual seven minutes. That's what Holy Ghost time is when the clock stops for the preacher. I'm going to go through a real quick list of how the ark was like Jesus. And then I have to get to the end of this. So number one, the ark saved Noah and Noah's family. This is a shadow of Jesus Christ because Jesus is our spiritual salvation. And just like the ark was provided graciously by God for sinners, 
so is salvation provided graciously by God for sinners, but not through a boat, through Jesus. And this is also a reminder to you that real ministry don't start at the church house. Real ministry starts at the family house and at the family gatherings. This is a reminder to mommies and daddies and grandmas and grandpas that there is a 100% chance that your child is going to stand in the presence of Jesus one day and it's not the youth pastor's job to make sure they are prepared. It is your job to make sure they're ready. They need to know that Jesus is king in your house before they're ever going to realize he's king in this house. As a matter of fact, let me just, since I'm on a roll, tell you that you would be shocked at how much better this house becomes once your house gets saved. Once you start having church at your house, you'd be surprised at how good a church we'll have in this house. By that, I mean once you start putting up some standards. Once you start telling your children stuff like, I don't care what they do across the road. I don't care what your classmates do. In this house, we serve the Lord. I don't care how everybody else is going to get along, but we don't listen to everything. We don't watch everything. We don't do everything that everybody else does because as for me and my house, we're going to serve. Not only that, but the, the ark had three floors. That, that's a shadow of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you say, well, I see all three. Yeah, but you also just see Jesus because Paul told us in Colossians that Jesus was all three in one. That, 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 that he, in Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So, so the ark was like Jesus. It was like Jesus because the ark only had one door. Jesus provides the only door to eternal life. Hey, can, can I say that with emphasis? Through the saving blood that he shed in our place, John chapter 10 says, I am the door of the sheepfold. By me, if anybody enters in, they will be blessed. Jesus said of himself, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. If anybody gets to the Father, it will be through me. So let me just look at a camera and speak to a misguided generation that has been told by Oprah Winfrey and the likes of them that there are many ways to God. There is but one way to God, and His name is J-E-S-U-S. It was built, the ark was built like a big giant box, six times longer than it was wide. And, and, and by that, I learned that there was room on that boat for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, they, they did the math. Guy's much smarter than me. I'm a preacher, not a mathematician. You, you want math done, go across the hall, Pastor Ryan Cochran. He's got a big brain. He can figure out anything. He's the engineer of the staff. I, I, I just preached the gospel. But what I learned is that they said there was enough room on that boat for everybody. Can I tell you this morning that God made space for everybody? No, nobody misses heaven because God didn't want them on the boat. They miss heaven because they refused to get inside the boat. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, ooh, ooh, ooh. Thank you, Holy Ghost. See, the same water that destroyed the unrighteous is the same water that propelled me above all the sins of my past. The same water that the unrighteous drowned in was the same water that moved Noah from where he was to where he was going. And the only difference was Noah got inside. And can I tell you that even though you make it inside, the devil has no plans to let you be? Some of y'all looking at me like I got lobsters crawling out my ear. Like you don't believe me. Some people get inside the boat and they figure out that other folk in the boat will hurt them. And we have a phrase we use for it. We call it church hurt. Uh Let me help you. God never guarantees that His church is perfect. Hello? And thinking that everybody else has got the problem is your problem. Because if you get in this boat... The longer you sit in that boat, there was a bunch of animals on that boat. There was a bunch of peculiar smells on that boat. What's that? You ever been in like a plane or a movie theater or something? You'd be like, what's that? Checking yourself. It's just me. The longer you sit in that boat, there's some peculiar odors that starts coming your way. And some folks come to church on Sunday think it's everybody else stinking. I got news for everybody. You all brought some stench in here this morning. And, 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 and ain't none of you so clean that you don't still have some smell. And, and, but no matter what it smells like in here, it's still better than being... It doesn't matter how the person beside me in the pew smells. I'll learn to get along with that smell as long as I'm inside where the safety of the boat. Let me put it to you like this. If I got to decide between you stinking and being out there and lost, (laughs) hello, God bless you, in the name of the Lord. Because if all I got to worry about is holding my nose long enough to get through this life, I'll hold my nose. But don't let me get outside this. I need the safety of this. Which brings me to my next point. The boat is like Jesus because it provided safety from the storm. The Bible says that not only was it raining from above, but the Bible says that the waters from underneath also burst up. Did you know that? The Bible, the Bible didn't just say it rained. It says that the, that the deep gave up its water. Now, the Mitchum family knows what it feels like. I don't, I don't know if you've been in this kind of flood, but we know what it feels like to feel like you're getting 
hit on all sides. Noah's boat was getting hit from above and beneath. Does anybody else know what it's like to feel like you're getting flooded from every direction? That's what was going on. And that's when you need to know that you are safe inside the ark. Oh, it makes me think of an old song. I was studying this this morning about 4 o'clock. And I was up and I, I could just hear the Montcalm Church of God. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. Can I tell somebody this morning that the blood of Jesus still works? Can I tell somebody this morning that because of the safety of the blood that no weapon formed against you shall ever prosper? Can I tell you that I still stand on the promise that when the enemy comes in like a flood, there's a spirit that will raise up a standard against him and that there ain't no flood can overtake me that even though I go through the flames, even though I go through the floods, I will not be drowned because the blood of Jesus is good for anything that comes against me me. The Spirit of the Lord is raising up a standard against the enemy that's trying to attack you. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. You're not what you used to be. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. My God in heaven. So, so, so where we get into trouble is this. Are you ready? Here's the, I actually have three things I want to show you why you're not walking your miracle. Here's your second one. You ready for this? The ark only had one window. This thing was as long as three football fields. It had one little window up on the third floor. You had to get through all the elephants' droppings. And and as bad as the elephants are, you know the birds was up on the third floor because they always roost up high. And I grew up around chickens. That third floor, that's where the window was you probably wasn't going to be hanging out up on the third floor to look out the window. You know why God only put one window and he put it up high? Because he doesn't want you looking at your surroundings. He wants you focused on the safety of where he put you. Some of you are so intimidated by the craziness going on around you. And you would be better equipped to receive your miracle if you would just turn the news off. If you would just turn off social media for a day, you would be better equipped to have the faith to believe your God if you would just get in His presence and realize that in the fullness of Him is peace. He brings you peace that surpasses all understanding, but you miss it because you're always looking out the window. Oh my God, inflation. Oh my God. I have seen so many stinking memes about the price of eggs. We get it. Eggs are high. I get it. Figured it out. I get it. But if you talk about it every 20 minutes, you got more faith in your fear than you. Quit. Look look at your neighbor and say, quit looking out the window. Just, uh uh-huh. Next, how the ark is symbolic of Jesus is the ark was equipped with nothing to control its movements. There were no sails on the ark. It had no means of propulsion. It had no rudder to steer. In other words, while they were inside the ark, they were totally dependent on the will of the Father. 
When they were inside, they gave up their ability to control what was happening to them. Why do you think God himself shut that door? Why do you think it was God who closed that door? Because he wanted them to know, you're not in control anymore. You are giving up control of where you're going to me. Now, a statement like that lands differently for some of you. It does. It, it, I understand in a room this size with this many different people and this many different backgrounds, that lands differently for some of you than it does for others because some of you grew up right. You were raised right. I can look around this room and I can see some of y'all, some of y'all are prim and proper and put together and you were raised in church and your sweet little grandma spoke life over you and you, you just always been such a, such a well buttoned up, put together Christian servant of the Most High God. Blessed and highly favored. And that's your testimony. And I'm happy for you. But some of us came a different road to end up right here. And some of us know that had it not been for the Lord on our side, we still remember the accident that should have killed us. Some of us still remember the attacks that came against us that caused us to have mental breakdowns and panic attacks. Some of us know that we would be an addict today with a needle hanging out of our arm. Some of us know we'd be in jail today. And others of us know we'd be in a grave today had the Lord not shut the door and kept His hand as a protector over us. Had God Himself not sealed us, protected us, and kept us safe, we wouldn't be here today. Thank God he was in control. Because when I got in control of this ship, I promise you, I run it aground. So your promises are pictures of something that have not yet arrived, but are very real. And when they show up in your life, they will be better than you imagined. But the hard part is you have to keep building. That's the first reason. The first reason was that God is waiting on you to start building something. Listen to what he says in verse 16. I already read it to you. Leave the boat. All of you. Your wife, your sons, their wives. Release all the animals. And here's what we never think about. In all that time that Noah spent on the ark, it was a year. It was a year. They was on that boat, that stinky boat. The birds is what gets me. Some of y'all ain't never been in a chicken coop and it shows. They spent a year on that boat. And here's something I've never heard anybody else talk about. Not only were they being changed on the inside, but the world was being changed on the outside. See, 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 the place they got off the boat would not be the same place they got on the boat. God was changing the outside for them while he was changing them on the inside for the outside. See, while he's got you on the ark, he's changing you for what he's bringing you into. 
But what you don't realize is he's also bringing you, uh, changing what you're coming into because you're not ready for it. And it ain't ready for you. And so sometimes you got to start building because you've got a season where you're going to be separated from your promise. And you're going to have to keep building until you walk out the door and into the next season. And you're not in control of when it ends. But you're in total control of whether you start. I just did a whole bunch of preaching right there. The water went down according to God's time. But had Noah not started building, he would have drank. In other words, you can't determine when the season ends. But our problem is we're not picking up a hammer. We're not beginning the process. And then we're mad at God that we're not receiving the promise. But God said to Noah, while I had you in the process, I was preparing the promise for you. You wasn't ready for it. And it wasn't ready for you. But now, come out, come out wherever you are. What you've been waiting on is ready. And I came to tell somebody that this is the last season that you're going to have to worry about where your promise is. If God can get you to start building, God is about ready to do something in somebody's life. And I'm claiming that I'm one of them somebodies because I've gotten to the point where I can't live like this anymore. I've got to get passionate about pursuing God. And if i got to start building this boat and nobody help me, I'm going to do it. They don't teach us in Sunday school. But you don't realize that this story isn't just about the flood, the boat, and the rainbow. This story is also about trauma. Because there is trauma involved in surviving the storm. You don't come out of a storm unscathed and skip to my loo. You step slowly off that boat. The PTSD is real getting off that boat. You don't know what to expect, even though it's your miracle. Is, is this all right? Is this going to hold me? Like, I, like, once you figure out that one step will hold you, everybody talks about running into their miracles. You don't run into a miracle when you've been through a storm. You survive a storm, and you stick your head out the door for, on the first day that you see sunshine in a year, and you say, I don't even know what to say except we made it. We survived. <laughs> I don't even know how to. I can't praise Him eloquently. I don't have no Bible scripture. All I can say is, thank God we made it. <laughs> I didn't think we would. I wasn't sure we could come out, but thank God I survived. That's all you can say when you survive a storm. We act like we're so deep theologically and we're so faith-filled. Friends, a storm will scare you to death. It will traumatize you. And I don't always have the right words. Sometimes the only thing I can say is, thank you, Jesus. We made it. And as Noah's about to begin a new season, he's about to begin a new season. He's been a year in a boat. He's about to begin a new season. And look what the Bible says he does. He says, before I build a life, before I build my family, before I build a new home, before I build a business, before I build a ministry, verse 20 says, Noah built an altar. Noah built his altar first. 
We want to build our altar last. Noah realized this truth. Every time God brings me into a new season, He requires a new altar. He's showing us that for every new season, God demands a new altar. But He also demands a sacrifice. The Bible says, And there He sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. The whole world flooded. I'm going to set the scene for you, okay? I'm still preaching at seven minutes. I don't know how long I'm preaching. I'm going to set the scene for you. The whole world flooded. Everything that wasn't inside that boat died. It had been a year. No animals survived. No people survived. The only things that survived was what was inside that, that boat. In other words, God had started over. He... He, he had done a hard reset. He, he had deleted all the files because they were corrupted. Wiped the memory clean. And we're starting over with just a, just a few, just, just eight people and, and two of each animal. There's not a lot left. And the Bible says Noah took what he had left. Noah did, he had lost so much. He had lost so much. But what he had left, he offered it as a sacrifice. See, when you go through trauma, when I go through trauma, our first inclination is to clutch it. And say, this is all I have left. I've lost so much. The storm took so much. This, this is all I got left. And we hold it and we hold on to it for dear life. But God said, give it to me. But, but it's all I have left. Yeah, that's all I want. That, that, that's all I want. I only want what you have left. Because when you can prioritize me over it, you'll get me. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And I'm the author and finisher of your faith. And I've got the ability to speak to the mountains and have them propelled up out of your way. And I am the bridge over troubled water. And I am your bright and morning star. I am the apple of your valley. So when you pursue me, you'll catch me. And all the other stuff will be added on top of you. But if you hold on to this, you'll miss what I have for you. So this is the other reason. This is the third reason. We keep clutching to what we're supposed to let go of. Uh, let me ask you a hard question. When is the last time God got your everything? We keep building altars. Every Sunday I invite you up here. But when's the last time you wasn't still clutching hold of what you got left? When's the last time you brought it to the altar and said, God, if it's unholy, get it out of my life. If it's holding me back, let me let loose of it. 
if it's keeping me away from my miracle, I don't want it. If it means that I have to sacrifice, oh, I'm about to get in your business. You ready? Some of you have told God out of your own mouth, I don't want no more responsibility. I can't serve at church. I can't attend more church. I can't do more church. Don't you know what all this other stuff I have going on? Yeah, keep clutching it. But don't keep asking God where your miracle is. Don't keep going and say, God, how come this stone won't roll out of my... Don't keep saying, God, why have I been on this boat for so long? When's the last time God got your everything? Because the altar is not for your almost. The final reason we don't receive our promises is because we hold back. We keep clutching to what we're supposed to let go of. Some of us have been through the trauma of surviving the storm and we're clutching to what we got left and we've built altars but we have never given all. Uh, throw verse 21 back up there for me if you would please. We've already read this but this is the crux of my message. This is the title. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and he made a promise the aroma of the sacrifice made it to God's nose and he was pleased and the scent released Once the scent made it to God, God released a promise and he said, I will never bring you through what again what you just went through. Because your sacrifice was acceptable. My promise is released. And I'll never put you through again. What you just went through. God, why haven't I got that? What sacrifice have you offered? What sacrifice have you bought? Because I'll just be honest. There's a lot of times that I bring almost I still hold on. I can't let go. I wonder what it would sound like. Ladies, show us what it sounds like when you worship. When you bring a sacrifice to the altar.
to build an altar? Are you ready to build an altar? Because until you get, I can't pull it out of you. I can't manifest it in your life. It has to be a decision that you come to where you say, God, I am ready to give you everything because I want to see what I've never seen before. It's been me holding me back. But today, I want to give you everything. Prayers get answered at the altar. God moves in miraculous ways when you build an altar. When your praises go up, the promises come down. 